Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin and joining me on today's podcast, it is former four-star on tennisrecruiting.net, Cracked Rackets writer, and the personification of tennis cocaine. It's our very own Matt Stachowiak. Matt, hey, great shot. Alex, what's going on, man? It's good to be Welcome back. Welcome back. It's been way too long. It's been too long, man. It has been way too long, but it's good to be back with you. And uh, as usual, we got quite a bit to talk about. So always, yeah, always mean, excited to hop back on the Great Shot podcast. Oh, well, we always love having you as well. I was going to say, we could talk about probably four challengers have gone on since now, uh, or since we last spoke. We could talk about the U.S. Open even more. We There are so many storylines right now. Andy Murray beat David Goffin today. I could spend an hour talking about that. <laughs> But of course, you know, San- oh, the return of college tennis, how could I forget that? But, you know, sandwiched in between all of that, the an event I like to call the Super Bowl of the tennis calendar, you know, Laver Cup this past weekend, it was incredible. And that's why we had to have you on. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, it, it was nuts, man. Unfortunately, unlike you, I was not able to attend the event in Chicago. But, oh, man, I was watching on TV all weekend. It was It was unbelievable. I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you, Matt. You know, you talk about just an incredible weekend of tennis, and you're right. I was fortunate enough to be there, and obviously, I have a ton of stories to share, and that's what we're going to be doing on this podcast. We'll be giving a complete Labor Cup recap. We'll talk about all of the matches, all of the fun things we saw. You know, we'll get into the random tennis minutia that we love so much. Uh, But before we do that, always got to start with a little bit of housekeeping. If you haven't, you have to go check out our website, crackedrackets.com. You know, so much there is so much tennis to be talked about, as we mentioned, challengers, you know, ten, college tennis being rebooted, the race to London, uh, why playing Novak Djokovic would be a nightmare. So many great topics. And of course, our team, Alex Gornett, Anna Bright, Ryan Cardiff, yourself, Matt. And you, you see how I plugged your article there, a little clickety clack. Love it, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> Of course, and again, Trays, our newest writer, Carousel, uh, so much great content up there. Of course, follow us on social media as well, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all of that following, you know, we appreciate it so much, and we'd love to hear feedback from you. And of course, the last thing I'll ask, obviously, if you haven't yet, rate, review, subscribe to the Great Shot Podcast, as well as our other podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast. We've had so much great content up on there. You know, I've mentioned how much fun we had at CR Live in that U.S. Open final. Unfortunately, Matt wasn't able to be there, but if you missed any of those conversations, either go watch the live show itself or check out the clips. Check out the Crack Interviews podcast because we put up, you know, our interview with Roger Rashid, Coach Rodidi of TCU, Coach Satchery of Notre Dame. So many great interviews. Uh, but yeah, so that's that, Matt. No more, you know, no more time wasted because as we mentioned at the beginning, Laver Cup was out of this world, and I did a day one recap when I was there, unfortunately, just with the pace of, you know, we had to get to the stadium, find parking, all of those things. We weren't able to do day two and day three recaps, so those are the two days we're really going to focus on in this, but Matt, I didn't get a chance to hear from you on day one. You know, at the start of this event, I think, you know, maybe the first match, Dimitrov Tiafa was a bit slow. You know, Dimitrov kind of rolled over him. But still, the energy, could you feel it as a fan watching at home just how special this event was from the get-go? Oh, 100%. And and the thing is, Gruskin, I forgot how much I really enjoyed this event last year. At the start of this year, I I went into it 
and and I had some expectations, but man, when I turned that TV on, I could just sense that it, something special was going to happen over the course of that weekend, and it definitely didn't disappoint. Like you mentioned, the first match, you know, I was disappointed for Francis. He was coming off that Davis Cup tie uh, just, you know, a few days earlier, so I think he was a little bit tired, uh, but, you know, Grigor Dimitrov played excellent, and, you know, that really started the show right there. I was hooked. Yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. Uh, unfortunately, I did have to work on Friday, so I didn't get there until right at the very end of the Tiafo-Dimitrov match. Again, that's a match. Dimitrov takes out Tiafo one in four. Uh, I will say one downside of the Labor Cup, the, the stats available on the website, not very good. You get net points one, not you know total net points. You get percentages, not total amount of serves hit, you know, no forehand. I got spoiled, I suppose, by the U.S. Open website, but still, if we're looking for one thing to improve on uh, for next year, I, to me, that's number one. But yeah, <laughs> I feel like you know, that's a pet peeve of yours, man. Well, you know, I gotta have the stats. You know, this is why we're just glossing through day one, because there's really not much to read. You gotta watch these highlights, and you know, one more click-clack, but when you look at the Gruskin's notebook for this event, you will see... Uh, you know, I included links in case you did miss any of the matches. But okay, Matt, I want to ask you, uh, before we get in, just beyond anything, is there a certain match from day one where you were just hooked? You were like, this is the match for me? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, it, really, the gofan Schwartzman match, I, I was intrigued before they even, you know, struck one ball. I, I just, I wanted to see that matchup because it's two smaller guys, two of the smallest guys on tour. They're both ranked really high, but it's so rare that we see, you know, guys at their height succeed on the ATP tour these days. You know, there's so many big guys. And so this was a matchup that I really wanted to see, you know, what strategies were these guys going to employ? you know to get the better of their opponent and sure enough it goes right down to the wire 11-9 in a third set breaker Diego Schwartzman played so well you know the crowd was behind him he had a couple match points there up 9-7 in the super tiebreaker uh, and just couldn't close it out but that was a match for me that really you know once they played that one I was like wow this you know this Laver Cup is really going to be something special and it's only the third match on day one so you talk about the crowd. This is going to be my first I was there story. You look at the numbers, 16,000 Friday day. 16,110 is the exact number, but over 16,000 people at a tennis match on a day in Friday in Chicago. This is just not what you expect when you, when you uh, have, as a consumer of tennis, it's just not what we see. And then it only gets better from there. That night, they had 18,568. 19,756 for the day session, 19,346 for the night session on Saturday. Then you have 19,804, the highest total of any day for the Sunday session. We were at the United Center, which if you don't know, is where the Bulls and the Blackhawks play. You know, beautiful arena, of course, but this thing was packed. And as you mentioned, highly, highly partisan crowd. They were all in for Team World. And that's what made this so special. This crowd was locked in and engaged in a way I've never seen before. And again, I haven't been to that many events. Certainly the U.S. Open, I imagine, under the lights, those Delpo fans, it was exciting. But all of these fans were rooting you know, for Team World and then for Roger Federer. Again, something we can get into later. But it was just incredible to see. And I really am curious, did that translate through the TV screen? Because to me, when you're setting the tone for this event... 
that was the thing. Just the team atmosphere was so embraced. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I could feel it through the TV screen, and that's how you know that the crowd was unbelievable, just because it felt like, you know, a, a Davis Cup type of environment. And the way that the players, you know, were getting hyped up and, you know, they were up on their feet, clapping, cheering after every single point. I mean, that just added to the to the awesomeness of the event. And, you know, when you've got the, the crowd like that, yeah, I was I was looking for a word there, but we'll, we'll go with that one. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, no, I mean, when you've got the crowd like that and then, you know, the players to back that up as well, I mean, that just – it creates a special environment that we don't really get to see, you know, in tennis too much, maybe at the college level, but, you know, not for ATP professionals. So for these guys, the top players in the world, to be able to see them in that kind of environment, that wasn't a Davis Cup environment, but another team event, I mean, it was awesome. And I, I could feel the energy through the TV. That's why I was hooked all weekend. I'm going to disagree with you. It, I, you say Davis Cup environment. I don't know. What, how could it be better than this? I, like, I understand Davis Cup is insane, but this was insane. Like, I, I just, I think, I, I, anyone who's saying a Davis Cup crowd is better, you're wrong. Here, here's the only thing. As it gets. Here's the only thing I'll say about that. And you're right. I mean, I, I've never been to the Labor Cup. This being its second year, it's only been two years. Last year, it was obviously in Europe. Uh, but... I've been to a Davis Cup tie, actually several of them, and oh man, I mean, here in the U.S. at least, they were both home ties for the U.S., and they were unbelievable, man. I mean, just absolutely nuts environment, very similar to this. I was at uh, Lawrence Joel, uh, whatever it's called, <laughs> Memorial Coliseum in Winston-Salem where uh, Wake Forest plays their basketball games. I think it holds about 20,000. And everybody was in their pact uh, for ties against France and Spain. And it was it, – it's still to this day, that was about 10 – 10, 12 years ago, but I mean, those were some of the most incredible weekends I've ever, I've ever spent, you know, watching tennis. So you're right. I mean, so I can't say it, that the Labor Cup, you know, I, I can't really speak on it, but whew, I, I'm telling you, man, Davis Cup is, is one of a kind too, for sure. Well, again, if I may disagree, the difference between the two events, why I think the crowd was more locked in, engaged, and just overall enthusiastic the tennis doesn't get better than it was this weekend. You have never seen players care this much about a match until you've seen these highlights. And I, I, I keep stressing that, but we'll, we'll get to the Roger Federer-John Isner match. When Federer won that second set, he unleashed a chainsaw fist pump. I, I've never seen him do that before. It, it was amazing. Yeah, no, that's true. I have to agree. I mean, this was some of the best quality tennis that I've seen all year long. I mean, you know, and that's including the Grand Slams, that's including Masters 1000 events, that's including every single professional event that I've watched this year. I have to say that the quality of tennis was was the best I've seen the entire year. It was that good. All right, well, enough, you know, sucking up to this event. I agree. It was incredible. Uh, and we will talk, let's talk a little bit about the tennis because there was incredible tennis. You talk about that Schwartzman match. Yeah, it, it 
it, it was a great match. I thought Gofen was on the offensive the whole time. He pushed Schwartzman back, and, you know, Schwartzman was able to come up with some amazing shots. I just didn't think it was going to last. Of course, he did have match points, so what do I know? But to me, to see Gofen pull that one out, it wasn't that shocking. Uh, I'm surprised. You know what? I'm going to offer my hot take, and we'll save this on day one, and then I promise we'll move on. But to me, the single best doubles team I saw the entire weekend was the team of Anderson Sock. They were the best. I, I think Anderson's hands, why he doesn't come to the net more, I suppose it's because his ground strokes are very good. But just his hands with Sock, it seemed like they both knew how to play doubles. And even though they may not have played together before, their movements were in sync, as opposed to the Federer Djokovic team, where it's just, you know, two great tennis players, Djokovic. Probably the worst doubles player I saw all weekend, but we can save that for a debate as well later. But just the Anderson sock team in that first set, or sorry, in that, uh, in that, yeah, in that, the end of that first set, it was 6 5 Federer Djokovic. They were trying to break sock, and they just kept attacking Anderson at the net. And he had about two or three great reaction putaways to get the game. I believe they were down a break point, got it back to Deuce, end up holding there to send it to a breaker. Anderson and Sock were my favorite doubles teams. Or if not only my favorite, but I also thought the best doubles team. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, I have to agree with that. I, I was wow. I was really surprised at how well Kevin Anderson played in that match. I mean, we knew he was going to drop bombs with the serve. He does that all the time, and, and he didn't disappoint. He served huge in that match. But the way that he played at the net... I just, I wasn't expecting that. I hadn't seen Kevin Anderson play that well at the net before. So that to me was a surprise, but in the most positive way possible. And of course, Sock, I mean, came up with, you know, the more spectacular shots, I would say, in the match. He was a little bit more clutch, probably, on some of the bigger points, but Anderson held his own. He didn't make hardly any mistakes, and, you know, you were thinking that he was going to be the liability in that match. Out of the four players on the court, I think most people would have thought that Kevin Anderson was going to get exposed a little bit, and he definitely did not. He rose to the occasion and played awesome doubles. It, it was great. I have to agree with you. I think they were... They were the best doubles team. I, I, so I'll say this: I never expect. I you know I expected Anderson and Sock to be better than Fed and Djokovic because Djokovic was just, he's just not that good of a doubles player. Like I hate to, he's an incredible tennis player. But and, and again to recap that match: Anderson and Sock beat Federer and Djokovic six seven six three ten six. That ended the day with Team Europe leading. Team uh, World 3-1 on day one all the matches worth one point on day two all the matches worth two points on day three they were all worth three the other match we didn't mention and we intentionally didn't mention this Edmund took out Jack Sox 6-4-5-7-10-6 and maybe the most boring match of uh, 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 the Kyrgios fed <laughs> we, we can talk about that a little bit later but my last thing I want to say about this doubles match you, you talk about that serve percentage for Anderson and Sock eight aces against no double faults. They make 74% of their first serves, which Fed and Djokovic do as well. Fed and Djokovic, a little bit better on the first serve win percentage, 86% versus Anderson and Sock, 79 But the big stat that differentiates the two teams, you talk about second serve win percentage. For Anderson and Sock, they win 67% of their second serve points. For Federer and Djokovic, they only win 42%. Obviously, Anderson and Sock get a break in the second set. Federer and Djokovic don't have a break. Yeah, the the serves, the the combo of when Anderson was at, was serving with Sock at the net, they're holding every time. Just a fact. 
But when Sock is serving for Anderson to show the skills, the willingness to poach, to just be a, a competent presence at the net, more so even in my opinion than Isner. I just think Anderson had more of a, when I say competent, I should say he had more of a sense for doubles. And I think that presence with just the skill of Jack Sock, when you put Jack Sock with someone with the weapons of Anderson who knows what to do with them, I mean, the product speaks for itself. That's why it was so successful. Yeah, um, but, I mean, yeah, I, I don't really Sorry. have much to add to that, man, to be honest. I, I completely agree, and that's basically how I would have put it as well. The way that Anderson played, you know, it, that was really the difference in the match for me right there was the way that Anderson played at the net. He looked comfortable, didn't shy away, and I think that made the difference. I'm not going to lie. I'm on the point right now. I mean, it helps that I was there, right? So I suppose that is a factor, but I like to think my analysis, uh, they're spot on. You've agreed with me like twice. Hey, not too bad, man, but we still got a, we still got a few things to talk about. We'll see we, how it goes. We haven't, even, we haven't even made it to day two yet, which is pretty funny. Uh, but with that, again, so going into day two, uh, Team Europe was leading Team World 3-1. Again, these matches were worth two points. They had three singles rubbers and then a doubles match at the end. And the matchup we started off with, Alex Zverev taking on John Isner. This is a Miami Masters rematch that Zverev ended up, you know, that's the one Isner won to kind of reset his year and all the success we've seen since then. You know, you can maybe date back to that final. Uh, but in this match, Zverev ends up out, or, or Sorry, obviously now you know which match I want to talk about. I should say, let's go through the results first real quick. Again, so Zverev wins that match. Federer takes out Kyrgios, 6-3-6-2. Anderson takes out Djokovic, 7-6-5-7-10-6. And then Sok and Kyrgios take out Dimitrov and Goffin, 3-4. So as to not make this pod three hours long, I really want to do a breakdown of the Anderson-Djokovic and then this Zverev-Isner singles matches. Do you have anything to say about Fed Kyrgios and the doubles match from that day before we do that? Um, just that I thought Federer played great. I mean, we were, I think we were all expecting the Fed Kyrgios match to be a little bit tighter than that. Uh, but Federer, man, I mean, he came, he came out ready to go. It was something special. And, you know, when he's playing like that, you know, I, I don't really care who he's playing. I mean, unless it's, you know, possibly Novak or Rafa, nobody's going to touch him. So I think that match really just has to go big credit to Fed. Um, you know, we can't bash Kyrgios too bad like we normally do on this one. Um, it wasn't like there was really a lack of effort on his part like we see sometimes, but uh, credit to Fed. That's about it. Um, the doubles, um, again, not too much either. I mean, Sock and Kyrgios, we would figure that that team was going to be pretty strong. And, you know, Grigor and, and Gofan. Gofan's a smaller guy. He returns well, but, you know, doubles definitely isn't his strong suit. He got broken several times in that match and um, not really too much of a shocker there. I think we were expecting Sock and Kyrgios to come through in those those matches. I completely agree with you. I do want to say real quick, we haven't mentioned the uniforms, you know, the gray court, all of those contrasts, all of the little things, the Federer racket colors. We are going to save all of those for the changeover chat. So, of course, be sure to listen till then if you want to hear those types of takes. You know, from here on in, we're going to try and focus on the tennis. I agree with you about the federer Kyrios match. I have... You know, I saw Federer play two Cincinnati finals in my life, was fortunate enough to be there. Both of them he won, one against Djokovic, one against Ferrer, and he played well in those, but he played flawless in his match against Kyrgios. 
86% first serve win percentage, 60% on the second serve. He won 13 net points. He held Kyrgios to a 39% win percentage on his second serve. I mean, when you can, he has three breaks of Kyrgios, a guy who's obviously known for a serve. This is a guy, I think they've all but three of their sets in their careers, and I think they've played somewhere around 15, have gone to tiebreakers. Obviously, that's no longer the case, but still, you know, you expect a battle. And it's not even that, you know, Kyrgios wasn't playing you know, outstanding. He was playing like just well, but Fed just was hitting every corner. The forehand, he's on top of the baseline smacking things. I agree. That's the type of form where you have to wonder if Grand Slams were two out of three sets, how much better he, you know, of shape he'd be in. So maybe that's, maybe he's in favor of that argument. We can talk about it later since you seem to want him to extend his career for so long. Um, <laughs> yeah, you like that little dig? That subtle dig? It's, that's what I do. Can I, can I get a dig sound effect, please? Yeah, but in in terms of the doubles, I really don't even need to dwell on it. It it was a blowout. I mean, Sock, he was the best doubles player there, in my opinion, and it wasn't close. Yeah, agreed. Again, I mean, Kyrgios, you know, I I was actually, I don't want to say I was disappointed with the way he played in that doubles match, but I, I thought that he was maybe a little bit tentative around the net at some points, and I don't think he served as well as he typically would, but, uh, you know, they played well enough to beat, uh, Dimitrov and Gofan in that match, but I, I completely agree. Sock is was definitely the best best player on the court. Sock was on another planet this entire time, and no, he only got one singles match in, but still his level of play, the serve, the forehand. Uh, I know we did this like a year ago, so we don't have to rehash this argument, but it's just so frustrating. But okay, again, let's talk about the the two matches we really want to dive into. Let's start with Zverev-Isner. That's a match again. Zverev takes out Isner 3-6, 7-6, 10-7 in this match. You know, Zverev makes 63% of his first serves, Isner 68. Uh, Zverev wins 83% of his first serve points, Isner 86%. Uh, the big difference between these guys, second serve win percentage, zero of 68%, Isner only 46%, but then to Isner's favor, he wins 18 net points against Virad's only eight net points. After this match, I, I had the fortunate privilege of going to get drinks with Jonathan Kelly, who, again, you know, shameless plug here, but came on the State of the Union podcast, I think it was two episodes ago, and we were talking about... I believe Isner, it was either 6-all or 7-6 in that second set tiebreak. He had a high forehand volley, and he just butchered it. He should have won that match. Completely agree. I think Isner really let one get away here. And, you know, Zverev's the type of player that he's going to give you some opportunities just with his style of play. I, I know that I've harped on this a little bit on the podcast before, but he tends to retreat a little bit to a, to a style of play behind the baseline. And, you know, he's going to give guys opportunities. And with the way that Isner was serving, it, it was really a match that John should have won. But Zverev just did better with the second serve returns. I mean, he was able to take better advantage on the second serve returns than than Isner was. And that was really the difference in the match. It was very tight, obviously a super tiebreaker. But again, I think probably everybody in the stadium and, you know, watching at home felt like John Isner deserved to come away with a win there and get Team World back into it. And, you know, it just didn't go that way. He let that one slip. I mean, 
the crowd was all in on Isner, and every time they introduced John Isner, it was just, and the recent father of, because, uh, you know, congratulations to John, we should say, and actually cue the applause, but if in case you didn't know, John Isner recently had a child, congratulations to the Isner family, but you know, the crowd was all in on John, you had the, you had this, we had these fans sitting behind us who would go, go Georgia, sick em, Bulldogs, woof, 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 and it was unbelievable, and People were all, they were all in on John. He was never happier than when he was pumping up the crowd. Uh, it was, it was right there for John to take. As you mentioned, these courts weren't necessarily fast, but the ball seemed to bounce higher, and Isner was able to sneak in a lot more, and he seemed to embrace doing that. He also was stepping in on second serves. Uh, for Zverev, I mean, again, we get mad because he doesn't move forward, but he is just so solid from the baseline for a guy his size and. He just outlasted Isner. He did what he had to do. Yes, Isner gets one break. Zverev doesn't, but, you know, he just, to me, it was just, he he ground out Isner, which is what you have to do. Yeah, I agree. I mean, credit to him, He especially with that style of play against a guy like John. I mean, if John can't win every single service point, you know, especially in a third set super tiebreaker, I mean, those service points for John are absolutely critical and if he drops one or two of those points on his serve then it's just it's going to be a long a long breaker for him so you know Zverev did what he had to do like you said but again it was it was a little disappointing but uh, one thing I just wanted to ask you real quick here Gruskin was about the court surface I know you mentioned it not being fast on TV it actually looked like it was a very slow surface I mean medium medium pace to to slow um is that how it was playing I mean from your view there in person or because they 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 did not look fast it's tough to say the gray courts threw me off a little bit it certainly wasn't as slow as the U.S. Open. I think the guys were able to move forward a little bit better, but it was not fast. I mean, it certainly was slow to medium, somewhere in between. You know, not it, again a little bit faster than the U.S. Open. I thought Zverev did. He is so, he is just so physically amazing, and I know that's a weird thing to say, but just the things he can do, I am continue to be so high on his upside. The guy is just so solid, and for Isner crushing defeat here he deserved this match as much as Zverev did he was right there and unfortunately he just he misses a high volley you know plays a a slow start in that third set breaker I want to ask what do you think of the third set breaker I mean it was back and forth it it was it was a good breaker but again like I was saying John no but I I apologize that was a poor question by me just what did you think of them playing third third set breakers in general Oh, yeah. To be honest, I don't. I don't love it. I don't love it. Okay. Can I say something real quick? I appreciate your consistency because you're team five set match. You're also team not a fan of. I appreciate that consistency. That's right. I mean, I'm definitely. (laughs) You know, that's just how I feel about it. I, I would prefer to see. You know, that final set played out. A hundred percent I would. I'm always about more tennis and not, you know, I don't want to say fluky, but third set super tiebreakers can sometimes be a little bit fluky. Or if just a point or two goes a certain way, then that's the end of the breaker and the match is over. 
always my point of view is going to be that I want more tennis. So I okay. definitely want a full third set. I love the fifth sets, you know, in Grand Slams. If they ever change that, I will be extremely frustrated. Don't even get me started on that. But yeah, you know. Okay, real quick. We had eight third set tiebreakers played in this tournament. Tell me if the result was fluky or not. Edmund over Sock, 10-6 in the third. No, that's about right. I agree, not a fluke. Gofan over Schwartzman, 11-9 in the third. Not a fluke. I completely agree. We're two for two. Anderson Sock over Federer Djokovic, 10-6 in the third. Not a fluke. Completely agree. Three for threes. Virev Isner? I would say this is probably the fluke. I was going to say that could be a bit of a fluke because John had not lost his serve. If we play a full third there, you know, maybe we go to a third set breaker and, and, you know, then we play it out there. So I don't know really if it would have made that much of a difference. But that one, I I think we could say, you know, the result might have gone the other way if they had played a full. I'm going to agree with you. We'll say we're three for three for four, three for floor. Jesus, Uh, three for four. Anderson Djokovic, 10-6 in the third. Oh, see that I think I think that could be a little bit fluky. We'll get to that match here in a second, Gruskin. And yeah, I, you know, I don't want to talk too much about that right now, but I, I think that one could be a little bit fluky, man. I mean, uh, I, I would say it was again. I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. So just hold that thought for yep. a second. Is Nursak over Federer's Vera of eleven nine fluke or not a fluke? Ah, uh, I say not a fluke. Yeah. All right. Federer Isner, seven six six seven ten seven. Oh, I say not a fluke. It was going to be a tiebreaker deciding it no matter what. Yeah, agreed. And then Zverev Anderson, ten seven in the third. That was a six seven seven five ten seven win. I say not a fluke. Oh man, six of what? eight, man. I'm just saying the format. Again, I was there, so I appreciated that it sped up the matches, and we got to see so much tennis consecutively, and I was already there for, you know, 11-hour days, and I'm saying that like it's a work shift, but obviously it was such a f***ing pleasure, and it's just, it was interesting, it was spicy, it was fresh, there was, you know, just something about the energy provided in those instances, it was it was incredible. It, it provided an atmosphere given the sudden death nature, the the on your edge of your seat aspect of every point because every point is so important. Let's just say people who say best of three, I get it now. I, I used to never understand. Now I actually get their perspective. I see it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with what you said about the Laver Cup third set breakers. I mean, that, I I understand. They were very exciting. I enjoyed them. I mean, let's be honest here. I enjoyed watching every single one of those tiebreakers. It would have been nice if Team World could have won a couple more, but that's beside <laughs> the point. Um, you know, in this kind of format, I guess at this event, I'm, I'm more okay with them using the third set super tiebreaker format. I actually am. If we're talking a, you know, a true ATP tournament with ranking points and prize money on the line and everything like that, then I don't want to see a super tiebreaker. I don't. But in this format, I'll give it to them. It it was actually okay. Would I prefer it? Probably not. But I can understand it. And I was okay with it. Okay. You know what? I think we saved the rest of that argument for the changeover chat because I think that's a topic we'll get into again. We're talking about Anderson Djokovic. Here's why I think it wasn't a fluke. Because indoors, which is the scene of this match, even if they play a full third, yes, Djokovic, 
Er, okay, I'm going to criticize myself. I agree. Upon further review, I'm going to agree with you. This was a fluke there simply you go. because Djokovic's level started to pick up, and it's so hard to outgrind Djokovic just on, on any hard court ever. That being said, Anderson's level in this match, talk about a guy who fed off the crowd every other second. I, L, L, I, N, I, and he soaked it up and he played exceptional tennis. Yeah, you know, like you said, I think maybe the third set breaker was a little bit fluky, but I don't really even want to talk about that because Anderson, once again, rose to the occasion in a way that I actually didn't I didn't know he could play that well. I've never seen him play tennis like that. The way that he was serving and his ground stroke game was unbelievable. For me, this was this was probably the the match of the tournament for me. This was my most enjoyable match that I was able to watch out of all of them because I just I had no idea that Kevin Anderson was going to bring that level to the Labor Cup. And against Novak, who we've already talked about him a lot. This guy's won the last two Grand Slams. You know, he's approaching number one in the world right now. He's playing better tennis in singles than anybody in the world. And Anderson just beat him flat out. I mean, we can't make excuses for Novak and say that he played poorly. You know, he he screwed up. He played a poor tactical match. No, Kevin Anderson won that match. He deserved to win, whether it was a third set super tiebreaker or not. The way that he played was unbelievable. And if he ever brings that to the tour, look out, man. The guy's already made two Grand Slam finals. But if he would play consistently at that level, oh my God. I, I I love this match. It was my favorite match, I think. I... Uh, okay, it's not my favorite match, and we will get into that match in a second. I'll say this for my final thoughts on this one. I want to echo your sentiment. Completely agree with you. Anderson deserved to win this one. I didn't mean to say it was a fluke. I just think a longer set benefits Djokovic. Anderson played, you know, aggressively. His backhand is so good, and he leverages his length to be able to hit through the backhand as opposed to only relying on slices when he's stretched. You know, he moves well for someone his size. Obviously, the serve was tremendous in this one. Djokovic, actually, though, you look so solid. You look at some of the stats. Anderson, first serve percentage, 68, goes in 68% of the time. Djokovic, 69%. First serve win percentage, Anderson, 74%. Djokovic, 78%. Second serve win percentage, Anderson, 67%. Djokovic, 78 I, th- I would have liked Anderson to step in a little bit more on the second serve. And actually, in total points, one Djokovic, 182 against Anderson's 87 But as you mentioned, this is why Labor Cup was so special. To see the emotion come out of Kevin Anderson, of all players, and to see Djokovic trying to work the crowd in the second set, to see these benches get go nuts. It was everything. I mean, Sock and Kyrgios, you know, they had a match after. They had a doubles match to play. Guys weren't going to warm up. They were glued to Anderson. They wanted to see how he did. And that is something, just that experience, that environment, that camaraderie is something that's so rarely captured in tennis. We only get it in Dave's Cup in college. That's the reason we both love those events. And this is a match or that, you know, that team world, I don't want to say their positive energy because I hate that phrase, but just their compassion for, or their their love of one another, their, their passion, not compassion, their passion for the game, their passion for this event, it shined through in a way that spotlighted tennis 
you know, no one's talking about Serena anymore. And I'm not trying to belittle that story, but the story now is how great was this Labor Cup event? And I think this match was the was really the best example on day two of how great those tennis environments can be when the entire crowd is locked in. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'd watch that match eight times a week, man. I, I mean, have. That was un, <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, some of the most enjoyable tennis, like I said before, that I've watched the entire year. I mean, I'd, I'd watch a match like that every single day of the week. The level was so high. And, and yeah, Anderson, man, if that guy can somehow harness that, I mean... I mean, he has, though. He has been incredible. Two major finals, you know, in the past two seasons. The guy has been really good, but I agree. That emotion, it's hard to get that, though, when you're just playing by yourself. That's true. It's hard to replicate that. Very true. Very true. That's why this event was was pretty special, I guess, because, you know, Anderson's a guy that doesn't typically show much emotion. And, you know, when he's able to kind of bring that out in this kind of format, I mean, it was it was awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know if he'll ever be able to, you know, harness that on the regular tour where, you know, you may have 100, 200 people watching at, you know, some 500 level event or whatever it is. But... Good Lord. It was fun to watch, man. Completely agree with you. And speaking of fun to watch, you know, that's our day two recap. At that point, it is 7-5 Team Europe. The day three matches are coming up. A reminder, all those matches are worth three points. And to open the day, we had my favorite match of the entire tournament, John Isner and Jack Sock taking out Roger Federer and Alex Zverev. 4-6, 7-6, 11-9, giving Team World its first lead in in Laver Cup history. This match, the crowd was awake for this one because everyone in the crowd, you know, the cop, we, we all expressed this in the labor cup preview on crackrackets.com, which you should all go check out anyways, because it's a great website. Um, and we talked about how important it was for team world to win doubles and they go three and oh, and everyone in the crowd, they're two and oh going into this. Everyone in the crowd knows team world's gotta have this one. And they took it and they fought off match points and Isner hit a forehand down the line where I've never seen a tighter doubles volley than Alex Virev. I know that feeling. That's the feeling I felt in the club tennis national title when you're just afraid to have the ball hit at you. And that's not true. I wasn't afraid, but I wasn't at my best. Um, but you just, I mean, it had everything. It had everything. It was the exact start you wanted to the tie-breaking day, and it gave the crowd hope. And it was like, oh, my God. And again, you can tell throughout this entire pod, it reeks of me being there, and I'm biased because I thought it was the coolest thing since sliced bread. But seriously, the crowd was alive because it was like, holy shit, Team World might actually win this. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, at this point, they had serious momentum. And, you know, by Isner and and Sock winning this doubles, that marked the third consecutive match that Team World had won, dating back to day two with Anderson over Djokovic and then, uh, you know, Sock and uh, Kyrgios over Dimitrov and Gofan. So that was three wins in a row for, for Team World to put them in the lead. And at that point, you thought they had a real shot to do it. Uh, and so, again, I agree. This was probably probably the best doubles match. Uh, I, I loved seeing Fed and Joker on the same side of the net. They didn't play the best doubles, no, but that was pretty cool for me just to see those 
two guys on the same but, side of the net. But, but can what, I say real quick, the nickname Fedkovich needs to be buried and just left in the ground because I hate that name. I just Oh, I'm fine have, with that. Can we just can we just say Federer and Djokovic? Do we need to give them some sort of acronym or something to describe them? Can we just ugh. No, I yeah, just... I, I completely agree. We can definitely leave that one alone. Fed, <laughs> Federer and Djokovic, that's that's totally fine. Um, I never really hopped onto that, whatever you said, Fedkovic. I, I don't even know too much about that. But um, I did enjoy that doubles match. But I think the quality of the Isner sock against Fed and Zverev was, was better. And I want to ask you, Alex, because, you know, it, it felt to me like, you know, we kind of talked about Isner and Zverev in their singles match, Isner letting that match go a little bit. I, I felt in this one, man, that Federer and Zverev let this one go a little bit. I mean, they win the first set 6-4, and then they drop two tiebreakers, one in the second set breaker, and then obviously the third set super breaker. I know the level was high, but, you know, kind of this whole time, it seemed like... Fed and Zverev should have probably come out on top in this match. Or or do you say no? I say no simply because Isner was the better doubles player than Zverev. And so Federer and Sock were obviously a cut above both of them. Uh, it, it's obvious, you know, in that first set, Sock gets broken, in my opinion, because Isner doesn't poach on two balls that were very poachable. I believe he also got jammed with a return. Zverev made a lot of returns, but he did not have a well-developed double sense. Obviously, Federer, you know, gold medalist at the Olympics. Sock made two majors this year uh, alone. Minus, I believe he has two others in his career, one mixed, and then the one in Pospisil at Wimbledon. I mean, Isner and Sock, they played... This is... My, my old coach used to always say, you know, people who stay two back, people who play one back, one up. They're playing not to lose. Isner and Sock in that second set and in that third set, once the crowd really started to buy in, they were playing to win. Isner was stepping up on returns, taking them inside the baseline, doing the things he has to do to be aggressive. Sock was just f***ing everywhere. I mean, seriously, this was the match where I was like, this guy is just on another planet than anyone else in terms of double skills. And it was just so exciting to see because when Sock is locked in, confident, and amping up the crowd, you know, there are few more enjoyable experiences as a tennis fan. And it was contagious. The crowd was contagious. Everyone was, again, if Djokovic and Anderson was the match that gave everyone hope, this was the match where it was like, oh my god, our hopes were realized. Team World is in the lead, and obviously you can tell which team I was rooting for. Uh, but still, this was a level of tennis. I, this is why I would implore every singles player play a little bit of doubles because it's certainly just having a partner out there, the environment, the quickness, the improv improvisation of the game. It's a lot of fun to me. It, it I, again, you can tell I'm biased, but I love doubles and I, I just thought this was the best match at Laver cup. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you when it comes to the doubles. I think, you know, playing doubles benefits pretty much everything. I mean, you know, you need a high first serve percentage in doubles. It helps with that. Your returns have to be absolutely on point in doubles. Uh, so I think there's lots of things to be worked on. I would also recommend that, you know, everybody plays doubles as well, at least a little bit. Um, and like you mentioned, I think as good as Isner played in the, in that match, Sock was really the one that won it for him, man. He I mean, was on another level. This guy is, he just knows 
how to win doubles matches. It doesn't matter who he's playing with. It, it literally doesn't matter. He just knows he knows how to win doubles. It's crazy. I mean, he comes up with all the right plays when he needs to. It's crazy, man, but he's so good at doubles, and it's it's a complete contrast to when you watch him play singles because it looks like in singles he has no confidence. He doesn't believe in his shots, but when he gets on, on the doubles court, he just knows. It's like, okay, I'm Jack Sock. I'm the best doubles player probably in the world in his mind. I'm sure he feels that way, and he probably is. Um, no disrespect to the Bryan brothers, but, uh, you know, he just knows that he can come up with the goods in doubles when he needs to. And it shows his confidence is just always there on the doubles court. It's awesome. I do love it. And I'm glad that he's having some success in doubles, you know, with the way that his season's gone. But one other thing I wanted to mention, Alex, remind me, what? how did the beginning of that third set super tiebreaker go? Weren't Fed and Zverev up a little bit in the beginning of that? They like, were up 9-7. They had two match points. And yeah. I, I, again, the one thing I, I, I will say, it just and not to cut you off because yes, or I, I guess I'll get back to it. But yes, they, you know, Federer and Zverev, they had their chances. They played the more solid, and Isner and Sock just came up with the goods. Yeah. Yeah, they did. I mean, it was one of those matches. It was good all around. Obviously, I'm, I'm happy with the result, but I felt like, you know, that was one of those matches that. Fed and Zverev are going to walk off the court and they're going to be kicking themselves a little bit because they're going to feel like they played more solid and that they probably did enough to win that match. Still didn't get it done. I don't think they're going to be kicking themselves because in the end they take the victory. Uh, and, you know, they're the two that get the singles victories. And we will get into that. The last doubles point I want to make about the Labor Cup. A lot of talk about, you know, our McEnroe. I mean, not a lot of talk, but maybe this is just what you're hearing in the crowd. But are McEnroe or Borg really doing anything? And I think for Team Borg, he, you know, Borg's magnificent hair flows on the bench, and that sets the tone for the grace of Team Europe. But still, you've got Federer, Djokovic right there. They're the ones egging you on. They're the ones doing the serious coaching. Federer, in particular, for Team World, the one thing I think John McEnroe did as a coach that put his team in a position to win is he empowered Jack Sock. He said, Jack, you're going to play all three doubles rubbers. You're the reason we're going to be the favorites. You have to take over and make this your match. And I think in particular, and again, I couldn't hear them from where I was sitting, but just the way that Sock would look at McEnroe after he started to, you know, they lose that first set and I see McEnroe talking to them. And the thing I have to imagine, he said is, look, Jack, you're the man out here. You need to be poaching. You need to be aggressive. You need to take over this match. And that's what Sock started doing. And his aggression, his just some of his angle volleys, the way he really asserted himself at the net, it got in Zverev's head. And he went after Zverev with forehands. He made big first serves. And again, McEnroe's ability to, or McEnroe's decision, I guess, to put that faith in Sock. If only he could find a coach like that for his day-to-day you know, grind on the ATP Tour, someone who can inspire him that way, because in my opinion, he played inspired tennis. And I, I just wish there was a way to channel that all year round. You're telling me, man. Right there with you. <laughs> right there with you. Yeah. Sorry for my rant. I'm a little preachy today. Yeah, well. no, I, I'm with you, man. I mean, and I'll defer to you, you know, to that on that subject, because I wasn't actually there on TV. It was, you know, they didn't show... 
entirely too much of the captains. I mean, they would show them, but as you mentioned, Borg kind of just sitting there, you know, he was that steady presence for Team Europe, and it definitely looked like McEnroe was more involved for Team World, but I mean, you had obviously a seat right there in the house, so you were able to keep an eye on it pretty much 24-7. I was going to say, that's the type of stuff I was watching for, seeing how the team was reacting. You had Nick Kyrgios, he either has the worst case of undiagnosed ADD in the world, or he was just all in on the match because the guy was never in his seat. He was always fidgeting. He was always on the court fist bumping. I mean, all of Team World was, and just that atmosphere, it can't be replicated. But okay, we'll get into that again more in the changeover chat. Let's talk about these last two singles matches quickly. Roger Federer takes out John Isner, 7-6-6-7-10-7. Again, Federer unleashed the most energetic fist pump I have ever seen out of him in, at the end of that winning that second set. These guys played to win. They played inspired. And it, this was everything tennis is about. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, you could tell this, this meant a whole hell of a lot to Roger Federer. I mean, I, as much as probably almost any other tournament that he could play right now. I mean, look, the guy has 20 grand slams in his mind. I think the Labor Cup, in some weird kind of way, means more to him than you know a lot of other a lot of other events. And you could just tell. I mean, he wanted it so bad, and and he played great. I mean, he was, with the exception of Zverev, who I have to say was probably my top performer of the tournament because he did win two two clutch third set breakers in matches that he could have lost. He could have easily lost, and we'd be talking about it. He won both of them, and I've got to give him some credit because I've harped on him before. He never does well at the Grand Slams. This was a clutch environment that he had to step up, and and Zverev did it. But Fed was right there, man. I mean, he he had to be... He had to be arguably the top performer in the entire tournament with the level of tennis that he played at. He was phenomenal. And, you know, again, we said it before, but when Fed wants to win like that and he's got his mindset on it, I mean, he, he's not going to lose. I thought Isner actually played pretty darn well in this match. Thought he served well, but again, I don't think Federer was going to let him. It was just Fed wasn't losing that. Uh, so in terms of the tennis, I don't have much to say. It was a pretty repetitive match. Isner, seeing him in person, you know, seeing the way he's embraced being aggressive more so, you know, later on in his career now, you know, more than he did earlier, he's so willing to take returns early, follow them, and just try and get to the net as much as possible. And against Federer in that first, first set breaker, the way he was able to come back and get the win is by taking balls early, pressuring Fed, making him hit return, or making him hit passing shots, which, you know, even Fed is going to miss passing shots when he's under enough pressure. I was really impressed by John. And again, you talk about the serve percentage for John, uh, 17 aces against three double faults, Fed 15 to one. First serve percentage, Fed 74, Isner 68, Fed wins 85% of his first serves, Isner 77, Fed 67% of his second serves, Isner 52. I talked about that aggression, Federer 14 net points one, Isner 21. Uh, both of these guys played to win, and that's when, you know, regardless of, yeah, the longest point was probably when they were rallying in the warm-up, uh, but still, it, it didn't matter because when these guys are playing to win, there's so much on the line. They're getting pumped up. Just 
it had it all. The the quality of tennis was tremendous, and um, you know the the crowd lived. This was the last match I was in attendance for. I didn't want to get home. I you know I had to work Monday, so didn't want to get home too late. Uh, but man, I, I've never seen Roger Federer like get out of here. People, there was a a section of tennis players like, well, Lafer Cup is just an exhibition. It doesn't really matter. Watch the highlights of this match and tell me this doesn't matter. I mean, you're lying to yourself. That's right, man. And you wonder why I always tell you that these guys are going to be around for a little bit while longer and they're not <laughs> going anywhere. I, you saw it in person, man. You So, you know, I don't want to hear any arguments from you about the Federers, the Djokovic's, the Nadal's, anybody like that. You saw how they can play and how they are playing well into their 30s. I'm sorry, Gruskin, but they're they're here to stay for just a little bit longer and I love it. There were some juicy rumors flying around Laver Cup. We'll leave it at that because Dalton will get mad at me if I say anything else. But let's just say there were some juicy rumors. And off camera, I'll tell you what they're about. Uh, Off camera, off microphone. But yeah, I mean, if the tour moved to two out of three sets with the third set being a tiebreaker, I agree. Fed could probably play for five more years. But that's just not the case. And I think this format is perfect for Roger, and he thrived in it. So I, not much more to say there. I also really don't have much to say about the Zverev-Anderson match in terms of tactics. I will say, I, I mean, again, two guys giving their all. It was actually watching what happens when 6-6 six, six and above players need to push because they're trying to survive. And uh, it, it was just, I mean, they left it all out there. And in the end, Zverev is just the better grinder. Yeah, I didn't, to be honest, that third set tiebreaker pissed me off a little bit. I didn't really like that from either player. I thought neither one of them held their serves in that breaker well at all. I mean, Anderson, man, he was giving up service points and then Zverev would give them right back. I just, I didn't think that third set breaker was played at a very high level. Like you said, they were a little bit defensive. They were trying to outlast one another, you know. Zverev's going to win that battle. I mean, even though Anderson Anderson did beat Novak and and you would never say that, you know, Anderson's going to win that battle against Novak. So, you know, again, the super tiebreakers, crazy stuff can happen. Uh but this one, man, Anderson I was really hoping that he was going to pull that out, you know, to force that final match between Novak and Nick Kyrgios. I really wanted to see that, but... Well, I'll, I'll say this. If the stats on the website were a little bit better, we'd be able to give a little bit more depth on the matches. You really should go rewatch these highlights because you can just... You can see it through the screen. I mean, I did rewatch some of these highlights, and you can hear the crowd. You can see the energy. When Anderson won that first set, the fist pump he gave off to his team bench, Sock is on the court. It was incredible, and so that is really the message we wanted to, you know give off from this event was just the energy that it was played with. Obviously, Zverev's win clinches the tournament, as Matt said, for Team Europe. They end up winning 13-8, to and it, again, we we didn't get to see a Djokovic-Kyrgios final rubber, although, again, I don't think it would have been that close, just given their two respective forms. I think Djokovic would have been able to win that match, but eight third-set breakers, I mean, such incredible tennis. We will talk about all these things in summer, you know, summarize some of the storylines in the changeover chat, which is coming up soon. But Matt, any final thoughts on the tennis from this? 
Oh, it, it was awesome. I think we pretty much already said everything we need to say about the tennis. It was it was the highest quality tennis that I've seen all year long. I, I really, I believe that. I mean, I just, I couldn't turn away from the TV. Every match was interesting to me. And the way that the, the crowd was so amped up and the teams were so amped up. I mean, a little bit more for Team World than Team Europe. Um, the Euros, you know, obviously were a little bit more stoic. But uh, either way, it was, it was great. I watched every single match. I loved it. And this is obviously an event that needs to continue. I mean, next year, I know they're planning on having it in Switzerland, Roger Federer's home country. That'll, I'm sure that'll be phenomenal. Uh, but Talk about a partisan crowd. Exactly. I'm sure that's going to be nuts as well, you know, for Team Europe. But I, I think clearly, you know, this is a tournament and an event that needs to continue on for years to come because if the players are going to buy into it the way that they have, I, I just think it's a perfect product for fans for the players, for the captains, for for pretty much everybody. I mean, there's no there's no losing here for anybody. I mean, I know Team World was going to be disappointed, you know, that they didn't actually win, but those guys are going to have memories for the rest of their life. I know Isner has already been tweeting about it. Anderson has been tweeting about it. They miss it already. They want to go back and play more Laver Cup. So uh, it was awesome. One of my favorite tennis events of the year. A hundred percent. Well, then with that in mind, that tone being set, it's do our final segment of the show. It's everyone's favorite segment of the show. And if you could, Fliegner or Westoff, cue the drum roll, please. It's time for this week's changeover chat. The changeover chat. I have to ask you, though, Matt, have you seen the acapella version of the changeover chat? The acapella version? The one from the live show? I don't know if I've seen that. Oh, you need to go watch it. It's on our Instagram account. You will like it. it I will probably, go watch that immediately after this. It is probably my favorite thing I've convinced Dalton to let us do since I've joined Crack Rackets. It's it's something. All it's, right. Don't tell me don't tell me anymore. I'm gonna watch that. Perfect. Well then, let's go through uh, in this changeover chat some of the questions that we'll also be covering in our Labor Cup recap, which will be posted on the website alongside of this podcast. It's our recap with the same people from the preview: Matt, myself, Jamie McDonald, Alex Gordon, and our usual co-host Max Rothman, who unfortunately had to be at work today. And you know, West Coast time for him is still work while I'm home at night, so. Couldn't get that lined up, but believe me, he has a lot of Labor Cup thoughts that he's ready to share as well. But it sounds like I know the answer to your question, so we can do this one quickly. Matt, did this event fail to meet, match, or exceed your expectations? 1,000% exceeded my expectations. I, I just... I I said it earlier, but I forgot how much I enjoyed it last year. But this year I think took it to another level I mean I wasn't on day one when I flipped the TV on I can't say that I was expecting to see everything that I saw over the course of the next few days and looking back on it now I mean there's there's no way I could say it, it was anything other than exceeding my expectations eight third set matches we got as much tennis as we could have possibly wanted um, the answer is clear exceed your expectations my twist on this question I'll say the other thing that exceeded my expectations, the city of Chicago, they showed out. They made this an event, and that's a credit to that city. They deserved to host this event, and I, I just really want to express my gratitude because, you know, 
to the fans of that, if fans could replicate that environment everywhere, tennis would be a better sport. And it's a testament to the Chicago fan base for helping to make this tournament so special. But okay, and enough, you know, enough sucking up to them. Your most impressive performer from the weekend was. This is a tough call for me, man. But you can give it, me a couple if if need be. Yeah, I mean, for me. I'm going to say this. In singles, it's it's right up there Zverev and Federer because I, I want to give the nod to Zverev, even though I think the level of tennis from Roger was higher. But I, I come to expect that with Roger, to be honest. And Zverev, in clutch situations on tour, has shown that he's not always up to the task, especially in the Grand Slams. This was a time where he could have easily crumbled under some pressure, and he won two third-set super tiebreakers that were both huge matches for Team Europe, including the clincher on day three. So I wasn't really expecting him to perform that way, to be honest. So for me, he has to be my most, I guess, surprising performer in a good way. Um, and then, of course, Federer was just phenomenal throughout the entire event. So, I mean, he's right up there, too. And then for doubles, I just have to say quickly, I mean, Jack Sock, how could you not say that he's a top performer in doubles? I mean, the guy goes 3-0. and He's 6-0 and now in his Labor Cup uh, career in doubles. He has never lost a doubles match at the Labor Cup. The guy just knows how to win. He's incredible. So he's clearly a top performer in doubles. I, I, if I was going to divide this by team, I'll say this about Team World. If they would have won the event, the MVP would have been John Isner because he had the chances. He was the guy where we are two points away from Team World winning this match if Isner wins his match point against Zverev, wins his match point against Fed. We are literally that close, and I feel so bad for John, and he. I just want to say how impressed I was with his performance because, yes, it was an indoor stadium, and that obviously helps him, but he was right there. I mean, he was right. He had chances, and just him keeping these matches close when they could have been blowouts added to the atmosphere. And so I was really impressed with him. But the obvious answer, as you mentioned, for Team World is Jack Sock. I don't need to go on beyond saying that he was f***ing awesome. And that speaks for that. For Team Europe, I like your answer of Zverev. You gotta go with Fed. I mean, again, he was the man. Fed wins his singles matches. His performance, his energy kind of dictated everything for Team Europe the entire time. When he was amped, they were amped. When he was playing, you know, they were off the bench. They were doing whatever they could to support him. You know, Kyle Edmund, it seemed like, really started to enjoy that team environment. They, it, the two, I feel like Team Europe got a little offended by how into it Team World was, and they kind of responded, especially when Fed was playing. Uh, but because, you know, you can't act like a fool on the bench when you're sitting next to Fed. You just can't do that. Um, but, I mean, it's got to be Fed. It's his event, and he shined. So, a credit to him after a disappointing U.S. Open. Okay. Biggest disappointment? Oh, biggest disappointment. Can I, can I give mine first? Because I'm really curious about your take. Okay. My biggest disappointment is that they didn't have a doubles rubber of Sock and McEnroe versus Federer and Borg. Because that would have set the roof on fire. I mean, I would have watched that. I, uh, yeah, 100%. If you, 
Would you rather rewatch Isner Sock versus Federer's Europe, or would you watch Sock McEnroe Bork Fed? If you know those guys are all locked in. Yeah, no, I would rather watch Sock McEnroe Bork Fed. Like, how do they not do that? The coaches incorporating the coaches would be next level. It would be. I'd be interested to just see at what level, though, like you're saying, if they're all locked in. I mean, if Sock is truly locked in and Fed is truly locked in, I mean, can, can Borg and McEnroe, I mean, wh- I, I just don't know how that would look, to McEnroe's be McEnroe's got, what, 10 doubles grand slams, something like that? He can hang. And Borg is, you know, God's gift to tennis, the most naturally talented player allegedly the tour has ever seen. And I, I just... I, I, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm all I'd, I'd in. be all in, too. I would definitely watch it, but, I mean, what are those guys, though, like 60? I mean, I don't know, yeah, man. Just imagine Sock and McEnroe getting the crowd amped up <laughs> together, or just Fed and Borg matching headbands. I, look, I'd, I'd be in 100% if they decided to do that. Of course I'm in. Yeah, that's what we do for 2019 Labor Cup, our suggestion. And if you add it, you better f***ing give us press passes this time. Uh, but okay, your biggest disappointment? Look, I don't want to single anybody out, like one player. So I'm going to say the answer that I, I also used in the roundtable, um, and that's just going to be that Team World didn't win a few more of those third set tiebreakers. You mentioned they had eight super tiebreakers over the course of the weekend. I can't remember how many Team World won. I think it was like two out of the eight. And if they would have just won one or two more of those, they would have won the Laver Cup. You know, Isner was in two of them, like you had already mentioned. He was so close against Verev and Fed. I mean, I just thought, you know, Schwartzman had match points. I mean, Anderson had match point. I it just it was unbelievable, man. That you know they went down in the fashion that they did. It was it made for an exciting event. Look, this, I love this. It. Is why I'm a fan of the shorter scoring because both guys had match points in these matches so many times, and it's a, it, it's a fact that these five set matches get drawn out. They get long, and when you have these shorter matches, the variability, the, the just the higher percent chance of something miraculous happening. There's something to that unpredictability that we don't have in tennis that may be an added value and something we should think about how do we how do we add that to our game more moving forward. I'm with you, and I agree that they are exciting. It did add a level of excitement because everybody was on their toes for those super tiebreakers. I mean, but here's the thing with me, Gruskin, and look, <laughs> I'm a I'm a competitive guy. The reason why I love tennis so much is that. You line two guys up across the net from each other, and may the best man come out of there with the win. And that's why I love the sport of tennis. You know, on that day, the better player needs to win. And to me, this is just a way of not necessarily showcasing that. I think in a five-set match, more times than not, almost every time, the better player is going to win that match. Of course, there are exceptions. There always are. But that's, I, I don't know. That's just me. It's my opinion. I, I love tennis, and I love to see those dog fights, man, in the fifth. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but 
the length of time. I don't care. I'm not turning the TV off. If it goes yeah, four but, or five seconds, but that's I'm tuned our in. problem. But sorry to cut you off, but the difference is you and I will watch anything. We watch Challenger live streams. We watch Futures live streams. We watch live streams. We are not the average fan. The average fan's attention span, and I. This is an argument Dalton and I constantly get on is, can we have longer pods, shorter pods, longer articles, shorter articles? The fact is, two over two hours is a long time period for a sporting event. It just is. It's hard for any person to get dedicate larger than a two-hour time block. And when you're playing three out of five sets, two hours is the bare minimum. And it's just hard to market of saying you were going to say, hey, come watch a sport where you're going to spend your whole day doing it. And of course, we love doing that. But something about this shorter format, it's enticing. It's just, we don't have to come up to, with answers right now in this podcast. That should be a topic for its own podcast after the season ends and we have time to kind of digest our thoughts for the year. But it's something we need to be considering. Yeah, I'm with you. We can leave right. it at that. That's fine. I, all right. Can we agree that you'll have to come back on the pod when we do the full breakdown of that? Oh, 100%. Uh, absolutely. I know Rothman's got takes as well. Okay, we already talked about our favorite matches. Let's move on. Best celebrations. Who was your best celebrator on either team? Uh, give me your, your team world. I mean, the, the, the dirty secret is team world was way better at celebrating than team Europe. But if you had to pick you know, your best celebrator on each team, who would you pick? Ooh, it's hard, man, because don't you feel like on Team World, they had like group celebrations. Like what was the one where, wasn't Francis like giving CPR to Sock or something like that? Or Yeah, it, while it might Kyrgios have been... was sealing in the background. Yeah. Just like sliding forward. Yeah, exactly. Like those celebrations were just unreal. I feel like Team World's team celebrations were better but you already mentioned fed celebration in singles i mean that was that was awesome because we usually don't see that either i mean you want to hear something funny i watched that point seven times in a row because i was just like i need to see the fist pump and i'm pretty sure i I read his lips he goes to the bench he says you know sorry for the quack again but he says let's go he either (laughs) says that or let he either says that or let's fire up either way he was amped yeah, that's the thing, man. I mean, that individual celebration might have been my favorite, but overall, I have to say the team celebration was not even close for Team World. I mean, they came up with some pretty fun stuff. Yeah, for me, Sock and Kyrgios and Edmund, Edmund was, and Chardy, no one had more fun than Jeremy Chardy, let me tell you. Jeremy Chardy looked like he was having himself the time of his life, and obviously <laughs> I'm biased because I had the chance to interview him when we were up in Stowe, but he was so happy to be a part of this. He embraced the team environment. That guy was enjoying himself. You know what else is, and actually we're going to need the violins here. But we're back. Um, yeah, so that that's some behind-the-scenes stuff that only you get to hear, Matt. I, well, um, I did see the beer. I think it was a Budweiser in the locker room after uh, the doubles match, right, on day three? Yeah, I, I, for Sock. For Sock, yeah. Yeah, and he deserved it after that one. But he was also done for the day at that point, and, you know, he's of age, so good for him. And the champagne celebration at the end as well was... It was something. It well, was and awesome. Didn't, but... didn't, didn't Francis crash that celebration? 
I don't want to have to go back into the violin. So let's just, uh, yeah, no, Francis was there. I mean, they were all in the club. It was awesome. Um, okay, maybe now we're back. Um, no, leave it in. All right, leave it in. Yeah, I, I mean, these guys had fun. They enjoyed themselves. It was clear this event was special. Okay, a couple more, and then we'll wrap it up. Teammate you'd want to play with the most. Wow. I, and, and by teammate, you mean like... On the roster. Can be any of them. Can be Fed, can be Sock, can be anyone of your choose. Like obviously, you see where my head is at. Yeah, I'd have some different reasons. That's hard. I would probably just have to say Fed would be number one. I mean, obviously, the guy is my favorite player uh, of all time, so I I couldn't pass up the chance to be a teammate of Roger Federer's. But, you know, just the way that he he leads. I mean, he was clearly the leader of Team Europe. He's got that presence about him. You know, he was coaching. He was playing so well. I just think everything about it, Fed would just make the perfect teammate. And a guy that, you know, if I was teaming with him, you know, you have to give it 120% every single time, you know, when a guy like that is right over on the sideline for you. No, that's a fair point. I mean, for me, I think there's a couple obvious answers. He wasn't playing, but if I ever have the chance, I'm playing with Andy Murray. Uh, the other obvious one is the teammate I always want to play with the most is my co-host, Maxwell Jack Sacklebauer Rothman. <laughs> and as as you can see there, the name I'd have to go with. I want to play with Jack Sock. One, I don't want to be the most obnoxious player on my team. I know I can get away with doing a lot of stuff cheering-wise because the eyes are going to be on Sock, which I'm a fan of. Two, we have our glue guy. Sock's the glue guy. I mean, he filled the gaps. He got the three victories, as we mentioned. I just think the energy he brings, the excitement, that's the type of energy I like on my team. On that similar note, who would you rather play for, Borg or McEnroe? Oh, McEnroe, 100%. That's an easy one. That's easy. I mean, you know, Bjorn Borg, look, he's great. He's one of the best of all time. He's up there. But, you know, McEnroe, man, how could you not want to play for that guy? I mean that yeah, that's a no brainer. Yeah, I fair. I, I'm I'm down to roll with that. Well then the question will end on the one that I happen to think is actually the most interesting thing to talk about in terms of just uh you know things to take away from this event. Should Laver Cup victories count in the ATP rankings? Should we make this matter more? No. No And tell me tell me why you think that. No, because look, there's only a handful of guys that even get to get to play in this event. You know, it's not like you can earn your spot in the Laver Cup. Like, you know, the World Tour Finals at the end of every year, you earn that by by making the race and being the top eight in the points race. The Laver Cup players are chosen by the captains. So I just there's no way that this event should should offer ranking points whatsoever. I completely disagree. I think, I mean, the quality of tennis, you know, we can't argue with what we saw. It's not like the players don't try or anything. I think the Labor Cup is more about the fans than it is really about anything else. I think Federer wants it to be about the fans. And when you've got the players buying in the way that they have, like I've said, 
That was some of the most competitive tennis that we've seen all year long. Why change it? There's no need for a change. They don't need ranking points to entice them into playing better or anything like that. No, that's already there. That's already there. There's no way you could offer ranking points. I, I'm very opposed to that. What do you think? I, I mean, my issue is some for some reason, people wanted to criticize this event as, well, it doesn't really matter. It's like the Ryder Cup. And it's like, no, this event should matter. Team events like this need to be quantified because you can just tell from the way the players care to the way the crowd cares, the way the sponsors obviously care. This event should be codified to mean something. And I just, maybe it's a reward. Maybe you reformat the year-end finals as opposed to playing men's and women's event, the top eight in the rankings for the year, get to play a team event like this or just something even more special. Because again, something about this format, this changed environment, it was fresh, it was invigorating, it was suspenseful. It was all of the things you're not exactly used to getting from your majors where you know it's going to be Djokovic, Fed, Nadal, Murray, one of, you know, Warinka. It's going to be one of those guys, Del Potro. And it's just, it was special. And there's got to be a way we incorporate this more in our game. And again, we can save that topic for another podcast, but... I don't know. Fine. I'm, I'm going to give you the final word. How, in, in, if you were to... Okay, we'll, we'll frame it like this. Would you rather re-watch any of 2018's Grand Slams or rewatch the 2018 Labor Cup? Um, I think I'd rather watch the 2018 Labor Cup. I and I agree with you and to me that's the crux of the problem. But, I like we we have to improve that. Well, here here why is there a problem though? So you think are you're of the mindset that the event didn't matter. It had no meaning to it whatsoever. That's no, that's it did, but it should mean more. It should be I call it the ATP Super Bowl. It should be the Super Bowl. It, it should have some sort of quantifiable effect. I also would love to see the WTA incorporate themselves in this. And we see a little bit of that on the world, you know, team tennis tour and all the things like that. Yeah. But still, but, but just if you make it, you know, the end of your event in London, we're having the top eight guys and the top, top eight women and we're dividing teams and just something like that. I think that's the type of event where tennis fans take notice. You know, there's I just team tennis is so much better than any other form of tennis, and I agree with you. The fact that the best event of the year happened in one weekend, as opposed to the you know the eight biggest weeks of the year that are the four Grand Slams, that that should that should tell us something. We we need to acknowledge that and understand that we need to find a way to incorporate events like this more, or or highlight them even more. Well, th that's fair. I think that's fair. But again, it's, I mean, we're going to have it every year. I mean, it looks like they're going to continue this on, true. you know, that's every true. single year. So, and, and look, tennis isn't really a team sport, you know, besides at the high school and college but levels. But it can be. Tour, well, but here's the thing, Gruskin, you like, I don't know, man. I, I know. It, I know. it just, <laughs> it's really not, we can't go changing the whole ATP World Tour now into team formats and everything. Look, I love this event for what it was. I think it was perfect. I mean, are you telling me that fans didn't show up to the United Center? No, of course they were there. People love this just the way that it was. Ask True. the players. I guarantee you if you were to interview every single player who participated in that event, 
and you asked him, hey, did that mean anything to you? You know, or was it just kind of just a random event that we had throughout the year? Every single one of them is going to say it was awesome and that it meant a lot to them. That's without prize money. That's without ranking points. Those guys aren't looking for those things at that specific event. I love it just the way it is. I say keep it. There's no reason to change it from my point of view. You make a good point in terms of the casual nature of the event, but despite being casual, that they care so much does make an added bonus. I don't know. Again, I reserve the right to re-examine this conversation in the offseason, but let's leave that there. Matt, I want to thank you for, you know, this ended up being a longer pod, but I want to thank you for taking the time as always because, as I've mentioned, personification of tennis cocaine what an event this was and to have you to talk about it with just makes the experience that's why we go an hour 20 that's right man you know we we always end up going a little bit longer than we tried to but you know it, it just so happens that way but no man it's always a pleasure anytime just hit me up um you know i, I love doing it i really do I'm- I'm not even kidding. We had a Cracked Rackets team meeting where we spent 30 minutes talking about how we need to shorten episodes. And then as a big F you to them, I take this one in hour 20. So shouts to to us for just having fun with this because I had a ton of fun as always. And I always want to give a special shout out at the end to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a a job to do as always. But one last time for my wonderful co-host Matt Stachowiak for our incredible super producers Daniel Westoff and Max Fligner. I am your host Alex Gruskin. Matt, you've been on here enough times that you should know. What do we say to our listeners? Hey, great shot. Uh, It gets better and better every time, but thank you, Matthew, and I will talk to you soon.